Alright guys, it is mid-October and we are entering into one of our favorite times of the year. If you are a listener of the podcast, you know we love all things scrape related. Whether that be creating mock scrapes in a new area or adding scent profiles to pre-existing scrapes. These are tactics we like to utilize this time of year to either get an inventory of bucks in a new area or to try and get that target buck into a specific kill location. Now, when it comes to anything mock scrape related or scent related, there's no one we trust more than Brush Creek Monsters. Myself, Chris, and many of our other team members love utilizing their natural scrape vines for any of our mock scrapes. Another one of our favorite products is their Doe on Fire Estrus, which will be available within the next week. One of my favorite things about Brush Creek is that all of their scent products are natural. They come from their deer herd. There are no additives. So you know when you get a bottle of Doe on Fire, it comes from a specific doe. It is bottled fresh and shipped out quickly. Like I said, they're going to have does coming into estrus within the next week. However, they do have a limited supply. So if you're wanting to check out any of Brush Creek Monsters products or get a bottle of Doe on Fire, go to BrushCreekMonstersLLC.com. That is one word, BrushCreekMonstersLLC.com. Hey everybody, Rick here from Fueled by the Outdoors, and I'm here to tell you about a wonderful company, Saddies, custom ammunition and gunworks. Aaron Satterfield and his family have been turning out some awesome game loads lately. Uh, I've been using the Saddies Fatties uh, turkey loads, and i got to tell you, they stop a bird dead. Chris uh, used a 20 gauge this year. I used a 12. Josh used a 20. And uh, my son actually killed one with a 410 this year with uh, one of the Saddies loads. And my God, do they put the birds down like crazy. Aaron Satterfield and his family have a wide-ranging array of ammunition, custom game loads, predator loads, turkey loads, the Saddies Fatty, and also they do gun work. Please get a hold of them with any questions that you have in terms of your custom ammunition needs. Go to saddiesllc.com. That's S-A-T-T-I-E-S-L-L-C.com and tell them that Rick from Fueled by the Outdoors sent you. Kurt Buck down, baby. Oh my gosh, that was freaking awesome. This is my first public land buck. This is my second set of the season. I can't believe. Oh my gosh, I just heard him fall. I just heard him fall. Uh. I just shot my Kentucky buck. Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. I'm your host, Rick Cates, and tonight uh, we have a very, very special guest that many of you know and love already. <laughs> we, we have this set up a little bit differently tonight. Uh, I am hosting by myself. Josh is asleep, more than likely, missing out on one of the greatest conversations of all time. I'm going to put it up there in the upper echelon of stuff, uh, but... Uh, I'd like to introduce our guest tonight, one Mr. Christopher Leppert. Chris, how are you doing this evening? Pretty good. Thanks for having me on, Rick. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I'm, I am, I actually am pretty honored that we're doing this like this. this is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, well, I, we've got, I, I mean, man, when you, well, we'll get to it, but the reality of if you haven't already seen the pictures, Chris killed an absolute public land giant uh, last weekend. And I didn't feel like we could do it justice just doing like a bro down talk about this deer. I wanted to do a full on interview with Chris about this because this deer is one unique in its rack, but unique in the way that you had to hunt it unique in the way that you had to pursue this thing in general and unique in the way really that it showed up uh, when it showed up. Um, So let's uh, we would normally go into your background and, and all that jazz, but we've been doing this for four years at this point, I think. So we don't need to necessarily go in. No, three years, three years at this point, we don't need to go into your background, but I do want to go over one thing before we start talking about the leopard buck so i want to know one one answer just one answer okay okay one word or one, one oh, answer what a one word answer okay okay when you first got a trail cam picture of that deer what was the one word that ran through your head? Well, there, there, you, I don't know. <laughs> Shit. Like, yeah. Followed by other expletives. Like, I remember specifically, it was funny too, because I don't think you picked up on it. I sent it to our thread with me, you and Josh, and uh, you, you never said anything. And I'm like, there's no way he looked at that and didn't say something like, he just didn't see it. I didn't. And I didn't. when I originally got the picks, so I run a Moultrie mobile edge cam uh, a lot of times anyways. I run a bunch of them, but those are the cell cams that I use. And I get picks first. And then if you want to see a video, you can send a vid request and it'll send you like a 15, 20 second video or something like that. And... I remember thinking it was actually my original target buck. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, man, I I got on him. Um, And then when I got the video, I remember thinking he was my original target buck. And then when I got the video back, when I sent a video request, it took a little while. Just keep in mind, this is mid-October. So I'm not exactly having deer hit a scrape at 11 a.m., in the middle of the day, but I do get, um, you, so to preface this, the only time you can get that video when you send a request is the next time the camera is triggered. But I get a test picture every day to make sure nobody's stolen your camera, ah. different stuff like that. So when that came through, I got the video request. And, uh, I remember I was working on the garage door with my father-in-law. Yeah. And I felt my pocket buzz and I pulled it down and I just stood there on the ladder just in awe. I, I didn't know I didn't know what to say. And of course, like you were busy. My father in law doesn't care. Like mm-hmm. he, he called that a basket rack. 
by the way. Like he literally excuse me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like he's like, that's a nice basket rack. And I'm like, are you on drugs? <laughs> like that's a giant. Are you crazy? So, um, and I think Josh had something going on. My wife doesn't care. You know, my kids don't care. So I'm like, Oh my God. Like, I can't just go talk with anybody about this deer and I got to yeah. say it to somebody. <laughs> so I found a homeless guy. No, <laughs> <laughs> you say anything about this, sir, and I'll kill you. No. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's basically what I felt though, man, just speechless. I, I really didn't know what to say because I just kept counting points. And for the next couple of days, I kept finding more points on it mm -hmm. when I get different videos. So, so let, let's get into this. That kind of leads into the very first question that I have regarding this thing is when did you first lay eyes on this deer? I laid eyes on this deer in May. I had just gotten our new um, Sony ZV-E1 camera. Yeah. And... I was practicing with it. We were scouting glass and bucks and stuff and well deer in general because it's May and you can barely tell. And I saw a couple pretty decent ways away that looked like they had headgear that I could see. And I'm like, damn, man, like if I get home and put this on the computer and can see decent bases and brows because that's all they had. Yeah. That's going to be pretty cool. Well, I'm sitting there filming, playing around with the focus and lighting and all that. I get home and put it on the computer and blow it up and freeze it frame by frame, you know, and just kind of freeze it as we go. I couldn't believe my eyes. The, the, both deer looked big. Yes. The one, his beams were splitting like three times on each side. I couldn't believe it. And I'm like, Dude, what the hell? I forget who I was with. I think I was with my father-in-law. I was you, like, Greg, what the hell is going on with these antlers? And I never did see the deer. I run cams a good bit and am pretty confident that I get the majority of the good ones on camera at some mm -hmm. point. And I never got him. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'm just stupid and, you know, they were just regular points and I don't know what I'm talking about. So I think when I was scouting, it was low light. I think I may have seen that deer about two weeks before the season. Okay. Um, it was that morning that it was like spitting rain and it was just one of those mornings where I was like, yeah, yeah, I got to go out you know, and then get back before the wife leaves and stuff. So I think I seen him then. And then other than that, never saw him. So my original target buck was a deer I passed a couple years ago and uh, saw last year as well. And mm -hmm. I, I wanted to, I wanted to target him. I thought he was a low fifties deer and um, we ran into some issues opening day, uh, got in there. Some guys had, you know, cams, stands, you name it, everything, everywhere. And I'm like, well, that'd be why the deer weren't doing what they were doing. <laughs> mm -hmm. That makes sense. Wish I would have scouted because I could adjusted. So 
I adapted and on you know, I was pissed, but I should probably like buy those guys a steak dinner. Because <laughs> now I've got the best deer of my life. And I, yeah. I don't even know to preface this, I don't even know that this deer is gonna score the best in my life or even second we'll, best. Well we'll we'll get to we'll get to that here yeah. in a little bit yeah. because because I I, I I want I want to talk about that towards the yeah. end specifically. But but so, regardless, but it's regardless. my biggest accomplishment in my oh. opinion easy so like easily it is so i had pressure and i adjusted and i said okay you know with this pressure maybe you don't have as high a standard you've got a few other good ones in here that'll hit 40 or so if you get an encounter you know take them well third sit i make an adjustment um hunt i i literally was very close to watching one stand up out of his bed comes out in broad daylight and i miss him so i'm at my lowest point yes and that's when i said okay guess we'll start over again and so that's when i scouted and found a really good scrape uh with some signpost rubs and put a camera on it and he showed up i want to say it was October 15th, I think it was like somewhere around five days yeah. that the camera was up and he got on camera. And and just so people know, that deer was probably there the night that I left and the night after. Never, ever trust your cell cams, your cameras in general. It doesn't, just because they're not showing up, they're all over the place. It's easy to not get pictures, so... He was probably there almost every night. I just didn't have him, but he showed up five days later. Nice. So I can remember when you sent the photo, but when you sent the photo, you had to resend it later because I had no idea what the hell you were talking about. Yeah. I was, I might, I might've been scouting. Uh, I think you were. I was you were scouting. because you sent your stuff in there yeah. and you were all jacked about it. Yeah, so I I was scouting and didn't pay attention. So then you you start telling me about this buck, and I'm like, what? Like, what the hell is he talking about? Like, I like like I, I know I know about I know the buck like that you're after. Like, what is this? So then you resend, and it's kind of like, holy shit! Like this this is this is different. This looks yep. different. This is way way different. And I remember the video you're talking about when you were screwing with the camera, of when when you were showing us the scouting video, yeah. and you, and you were showing us like look how look how goofy this guy's antlers are gonna be. And we're all like yeah, like but it, it's not gonna be like that other deer. Clearly we we, we were right because you know personally this one I I've. We'll get into that a little bit. I feel like this one's better, but you, you kind of already went into some of the tribulations that you had getting on, like getting in and doing everything you need to. So opening day comes, you go, you hunt, um, you have, uh, you know, some other people in or around you, uh, yeah. in the area, unexpected pressure. Uh, uh, unexpected pressure. It's public land. It's going to happen. Yep. Um, it, 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 it happens everywhere. So ultimately when we're talking about this, uh, you, you're, you're, you're contemplating what to do. So what 
from that point, because we're going to get to the buck that you shot and missed, but like at that point, what was the thing that you said, I got to change what I'm doing right now? Like at what point did you decide that? And what did you do to set up a game plan to mitigate being around other people? We always talk about having a plan B. What was your plan B in this situation? Well, you could tell that the deer were just avoiding people. You could still see them, which, I mean, listen, this sounds biased because we run the Mobile Hunters Expo. You start putting up tree stands. If you're not super, super intelligent about it, they'll avoid it. Yeah. When you put up cameras, they will avoid them. Even when you are intelligent, lots of times they avoid them. They, you know, it would be like coming into somebody's house and putting something in their house. Those deer are in and out of there all the time. And by the way, they have the sense of smell that would blow your mind. They don't miss anything. You have to be very methodical with them. Yeah. So I could tell that they were simply avoiding people. They were avoiding the pressure. And so I was like, okay, well, let's find a spot where they could avoid them and still accomplish what they want to accomplish. And so I started e-scouting and that's when I sent you guys, you know, the, the pics on the map and was like, yep. Ooh, baby, this is going to be good. And then I, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I remember when we did that and all three of us like picked the same area, like, like, yep this is where you need to go look at like this, yep. this, this is your next spot. Um, and th this is something that I, I think kind of goes underrated and people don't, we talk about this and we talk about the threat all the time. We are in constant communication, like close to 24 hours a day. Yeah. Like, like, like we're, we're all in constant like communication, especially during this time of year. Find yourself buddies, or if you already have friends, bounce ideas off of one another because they're going to see something or you're all going to agree on something that's going to be best moving forward. So when we all looked at this area and you said, I think this is where they're going. I know Josh said, if there's like, if there's, if this, if this is there, you need to go there. I said, I feel like it's the next piece up from where you're going with this. So from that point, you move to the next point where you where you felt like the like deer were going to be at. Yeah. Go from there. I, I just, I mean, essentially, I'm like, okay, time to get aggressive. I'm going to shoot you out of your bed. And I, I was so confident that day that I painted up. It's rare that I paint up. I mm -hmm. felt confident. I wanted to look kind of cool, put a little <laughs> makeup on, let my hair down. <laughs> so I did, uh, I blasphemed a little bit and mm -hmm. went with uh, probably my favorite face paint style I've ever seen, which is a, a Michigan player. I want to say his name is Aiden Hutchinson. Aiden Hutchinson. Yep. Plays and, for the Detroit Lions now. Yeah. And it, it's like the baddest ass freaking so simplistic and so cool. So I painted up, headed out, and dude, he walked right to me. And I just misjudged the yardage. And I, 
the tough part was I could not really get above him mm-hmm. because I didn't know exactly where he was going to show up. So I had to play it safe and give myself plenty of options to cover more ground with my bow. Yeah. And that led me to a maple tree with some limbs on it. And I still think, I think I was somewhere close to 30 feet from the bottom of the tree, but I still had to aim up at the deer, if that makes sense. Yeah, it so, makes complete sense. <clears throat> and it's, uh, so he was above me still. And I remember a little buck coming out first. And you'd have thought that thing was 17 years old the way he acted. Just slow. He looked like a big buck. The mm-hmm. way he he moved and stopped and stared and smelled and listened and and then he picked me off, and then he moseyed off, you know, kind of half spooked but didn't blow mm-hmm. or anything. And then that big buck came out, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And and he looked like Mickey Mouse strolling down Broadway <laughs> or, or something, you know, like mm-hmm. just not a care in the world. And I didn't have any time to really range where he was and so i had ranged a tree for i want to say it was 31 yards and then it looked like he got closer so i shot him for 25 and a couple things went wrong one i missed that yardage by eight yards Mm -hmm. and i'd fallen on my bow climbing yes and that's when uh when i got home well the next day because it was dark but next day i checked my bow and my sight tape was off two yards so basically missed by 10 yards so i shot a deer at 35 for 25 and i basically shot under his belly by about two inches Mm -hmm. and i i couldn't believe it and i it still makes me sick even though i'm sitting here with a smile on my face of course but i just i don't like not being in control once i release an arrow once i shoot you know i i want that arrow to go where it should and and make a good shot because I wanted to have a quick death, and it just it always freaks the shit out of me knowing that you could wound a deer and and yeah. screw up your season, but more importantly, give something you know an agonizing death and let it go to waste and all that. Well, and I remember earlier in the season, this is when you were hunting Kentucky. Uh, you were riding in uh, on a WMA, and you you fell, and you yeah your your bow sight got jacked up and mangled mangled and and your whole your statement to us was i'm not even gonna hunt like i'm gonna go back like this is not worth me like wounding an animal like making a bad shot like if i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this right yeah so you shoot and you miss and to be clear to everybody as we're describing this chris shot and missed a different deer not the deer we're we're here to talk about tonight yeah, he's like a hundred and forty inch eight point that I missed. Beautiful, he's a really buck. good deer. Yeah, beautiful buck. buck. Um, hey, you know what? He'll be he'll be there next year, hopefully. <laughs> Maybe we'll see. Maybe. It's, it's November, and we still got a lot of <laughs> stuff to happen. But you never know. Yeah. So so you shoot and miss this deer. Like we're all you know, like, man, that sucks. Like hope hopefully you get another shot at him. <clears throat> you know all all the things that buddies say to kind of. Bring you yeah. up a little bit, but in deep down inside, you're kind of like, shit, I knew I, I knew I like did this thing wrong. So yep. it was again, it was back to the drawing board. So yep. at this point, it is now October 
So October eighth, I missed him, and then I put in one one, one more set. sit. One and more set. I literally saw a couple does and a little buck, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not. I'm not just gonna sit and hope. That's stupid. Yeah. So that following week after talking talking everything through, you said, I'm I'm going back to the drawing board. I I I gotta do something different here. Yeah. So you instead of going and hunting, you went and scouted. Yeah. So my wife, I forget exactly, I think they just had like a holiday. So my wife's an educator and I stay at home with my kids and then you know, run our social media and do the expo thing and everything, right? So um, she had the day off and I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to hunt. I'm not going to waste time, um, which as a father and a husband, you really got to learn to balance stuff. So I'm like, she's off. I get to go hunting. So why don't we like enjoy each other's company? Let's have breakfast as a family. We'll take and you know, whatever kids to school we need to. And then we'll eat lunch together, chill out for a little bit, you know, lay down and relax mm -hmm. and watch some TV. And then I'll leave at like, you know, one or two o'clock or something. And my plan was to basically, if I found what I wanted, I would sit. Otherwise, we're just going to walk. And, and I basically took a very, very light setup I think I did a one stick that day mm -hmm. and a saddle. And I just told myself flat out, like, you're gonna walk today and we're gonna we're gonna find out. So mm -hmm. walking through and you know, I didn't really have that much of a plan other than to try to look for feed trees. I don't think that I had the proper real estate to be able to look for beds really. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to hopefully find some good feed trees, feed sign, you know, and then buck sign, scrapes, rubs, et cetera, right? Yeah. And so I'm I'm scouting and I keep hearing these acorns drop. And then I hear a deer blow at me. And then I hear another deer. And I'm, you know, the whole time I'm not excited mm -hmm. yet, you know, I'm like pissed off, like shut up bitch like go away <laughs> you're gonna be jerky if you don't shut your mouth you're lucky i don't have game bags so <laughs> someone uber light i was like you know what this will be the night that you become a hypocrite and you'll have to make two trips just to go get all your shit to process a deer <laughs> so but we can live with that um so i come upon this grove of red oaks and it is dude it is raining freaking red oak acorns and i think i spooked like three or four deer really on my way in it i spooked a couple more while in it i ran one deer off like two or three times and it came back while i was sitting and so as i creep through this red oak grove i get to the edge of it and I, you just the more you do this and this is where, you know, talking to like Jake Bush and some other guys, you kind of feel it. And mm -hmm. you just kind of, you know, the, the spidey senses start going off. And as I got to the edge of this red oak grove, I was like, all right, where's my scrape? Mm -hmm. And I look and I see this lone beech tree. 
And I'll never forget, I was talking to Jacob Emery like the whole time. He's been such a huge freaking like, I don't want to call him a cheerleader, but like a supporter, you know? Yeah. He's a bro. He's a bro. Really rooting, rooting me on mm-hmm. and keeping me encouraged, you know, firing me up. And so I'm like giving a scouting report as I go. And I remember looking at that lone beech tree and I took like three more steps so that I could see. And I just sat there and said, Oh my God, there were three different scrapes underneath this beech tree. It's got all different levels of low hanging branches Mm -hmm. and it's by itself. And then about 10 yards past it, there's another two scrapes underneath some buckeye trees. Mm -hmm. And there were some buckeyes and sassafras trees that were, they, they were like, so the Buckeyes were like snapped. Yeah. And which is, it kind of ties in. And then the sassafras trees were like signpost rubs. Really? Yes. Um, and they were probably, let's say, three to four inches in diameter. You know, not okay. huge trees, but decent trees, not a little sapling or anything. Mm-hmm. So, I just sat there in awe, kind of like when I got the pictures of the deer. Because, I I mean, you know, obviously it's easy for me to say it, but I just, it was different. I knew. Yeah. And and from all the, you know, I, I think at that point I was approaching, approaching 200 miles of scouting. And um, I, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. I hadn't found that yet. Mm-hmm. So I thought, this is, this is something good. This is special. And I sat there, I saw a little buck, I saw some does, and that was it. And then I put my camera up, and I left. And so, I came back after I got that buck on camera. And at that point, I think I got that deer on camera, I want to say it was like a Saturday Mm -hmm. night. And then again on a Tuesday night. Tuesday night. And, and yes. these are like stupid late. 1 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m. You know, nothing nothing to be getting too excited about. And so that's when I started to develop my game plan. At first, I thought, okay, what winds are, is he coming on? What's the pressure? You know, look at all the conditions. And there just really wasn't a whole lot stacking up. I mean, he was coming in on a a windy, windy, you know, 10 plus mile an hour northwest wind. But there wasn't much else. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't even on a wind switch or anything for the most part. So I'm like, man, what, what do I got to do to get this deer, you know, to, to close? And I can't really go chase him. You know, so sitting there and I'm thinking, I'm like, you know what? I think I'd gotten one more video after that. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, I think it was like 545 in the morning. So significantly closer, but I'm like, you're still. You're still on the fringe. You're on the fringe, man. You're not. I'm not going to say you're not in the game, but I've been here before coming from private land. Mm-hmm. And this is that end of October, early November, you're going to get an encounter if you put in the time thing. 
And it used to come easier because I ran corn piles. And you just sit down one of the corn pile and he was going to come check it. And as long as you didn't screw it up, you know, you'd at least have an encounter somehow. Mm-hmm. Well, can't run corn piles on public land and I've got no, it's already a bitch to get there, let alone drag <laughs> hundreds of pounds of corn. Um, so I thought, you know what, we're just, we're going to have to bring private land hunting tactics to the public, you know, normally, so, oh, sorry. No, exactly. That, that was going to be my next question is like, so what did that look like for you? And if you can explain to the listener, like specifically what that means to you. So to give you an idea, so I had that rough opening day. Mm-hmm. So while you got to count that as a sit, really doesn't count because I would have automatically shifted the hell away from that <clears throat> and been somewhere else and probably pretty likely killed on opening day. If not one more sit in, I'd have been one or two sits. Now it was three sits that it took, but you could technically say two. very aggressive, get him when he comes, you know, a few yards from his bed and shoot him. So, with private land, you're more looking to kind of stay out unless your cameras are telling you like, hey, he's in here a bunch. You're basically staying out until that right time, which is, you know, there's a few things. You could have a big wind switch on a cold front that lines up with a red moon, good barometric pressure, like stacking the odds. And then when you pair all that with the end of October and early November, it's just like, if you put the time in, it's very likely that you're going to get an encounter. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and (laughs) it's very difficult to believe it when you have a deer that has not daylighted one single time on camera, but you have to, you have to believe. And I, you know, to throw it out there, I've amazing friends, you, Josh, Jacob Emery, Pierce, like y'all literally cheered me on, rooted me on, encouraged me. And because that sit after sit after sit, I had quit that. It's been a few years since I've done that. And I am not conditioned to sit like that a bunch of times. Like last year, I had two bucks and two does down in, I think it was seven sits. And on my eighth sit, I missed a buck. Like, I'm not up for that whole, like, let's go here 47 times and just keep at it. So, I mean, after that, I was like, okay, well, we're not just going to go hunting anymore. If we do, we're going to, like, fringe hunt. We're not mm-hmm. we're not trying to push in on anything or anything like that. Super light, low-key access. And, you know, if he screws up and walks by you, cool. If not, let's just keep it up. Ob- observing and checking the acorns stuff like that so that brings us into i want to say it was basically like towards you know the last week of october last week of october going into november we had a red moon and a cold front i think one of the days we had a good barometer it was like 30.3 or something crazy and I mean, I just, I burn it up, dude. I, I sit after sit after sit. 
And I, I mean, I wasn't seeing shit. One day I didn't even see a deer. I was like, man, this blows. Like, I think I might be pressuring this place out pretty bad. Well, we get into the beginning of November. Mm-hmm. And it warms up a little bit. Well, it, it stayed cool for the very beginning. Yes, it did. And I had a couple of encounters with deer that you just light a candle for and pray for every day. Like I had a <laughs> probably what I'd call a two-year-old eight-pointer that's like Pope and Young. Like he's nice, a it was gorgeous, a nice deer. Yeah. Absolute future stud. I would I would love to see that deer hit at least four years old. He is gonna be a big ass deer. Mm-hmm. So I had these encounters with these smaller bucks, seen an ungodly amount of does, and then it warms up. Mm-hmm. And my wife, every year, the first week of October, my daughter's November. birthday. Yeah. Or, sorry. First week yeah. of November. I'm stupid. <laughs> um, my daughter's birthday is November 1st. So we had a birthday party uh, the last weekend of October. And then the first day of November, we've got her birthday. And so you're, you just get kind of limited. And, uh, she takes off every year though. The first week of November, she gives me the option. Basically I get to pick a day around that time. Mm-hmm. She'll take the kids to their six month or whatever checkup and I can go hunting. So she took off on Friday, November 3rd. And I remember I was just, I was so just beaten down. Um, and to give people an idea, from the time I leave my house, it's nearly three hours before I am set up in a tree. Yes. Imagine driving that far, <clears throat> kayaking that far, then hiking that far. Then you get to climb a tree and hang your stuff and then sit there and hunt and then tear it all down and then do everything you got to do to get back. And it's, it's literally like at first you're like, Oh, I'm cool. I'm so tough. Then you're like, this sucks, man. Like I want to hunt private land again. This blows. Like, give me 20 acres where I walk a hundred yards and climb up a beautiful maple tree. That's perfect. It's straight yeah. up and down. Yeah. Let's just go shoot does. So, um, I didn't even go that morning and it was like a beaut- It was like the last really decent morning. Yeah. And I didn't even go. I, I just couldn't get up. I, I didn't have it. I went that night and, uh, saw a good amount of deer, heard some grunting, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And then I went the next morning and, and over the you know course of a couple of days, I discovered some extra pressure. I'm like, damn, man, like, well, what do I got to do to get away from people here? So a week prior, I'd done some scouting and found a scrape. Now, scrapes were popping up all over the place. So I don't really put a lot of stock in just any scrape. It's got to be the right scrape. It's got to be the, in the right area and have the right sign have with All it. the right things with yeah. it. You got to have things stacking up. Yeah. So... I told myself, like, you should just get in the middle of the pressure and, and then, you know, go check that scrape. And if it's open, you feel like it's being hit, 
just go hunt it. You know, that that's what you have right now. But I walked in and my access was just stupid clean. And I walk up and that scrapes wide open. There are buckeye trees snapped. They're not rubbed. They are snapped. And everything about everything I found there was just violent. You could tell. Real aggressive. Yeah, very aggressive. Like, okay, testosterone's at at a high here. It's peaking. Like, you should probably get in a tree. Hey, everybody. Rick here from Fueled by the Outdoors, and I'm here to tell you about a wonderful company, Saddies, custom ammunition and gun works. Aaron Satterfield and his family have been turning out some awesome game loads lately. Uh, I've been using the Saddies Fatties uh, turkey loads, and i got to tell you, they stop a bird dead. Chris uh, used a 20-gauge this year. I used a 12. Josh used a 20. And uh, my son actually killed one with a 410 this year with uh, one of the Saddies loads. And my God, do they put the birds down like crazy. Aaron Satterfield and his family have a wide-ranging array of ammunition, custom game loads, predator loads, turkey loads, the Saddies Fatty, and also they do gun work. Please get a hold of them with any questions that you have in terms of your custom ammunition needs. Go to saddiesllc.com. That's S-A-T-T-I-E-S-L-L-C.com and tell them that Rick from Fueled by the Outdoors sent you. So I decided I needed to get into a tree. Um, It's very difficult to really describe to people how difficult that actually was because the way the trees are a lot of leaners, a lot of hard bark trees that are leaning every which direction and have branches coming out every which way and other trees growing right next to them. Just, it was tight. Lots of honeysuckle Mm -hmm. undergrowth as well. So I find one tree but i try i found two one was like a freaking mega walnut it's like a probably a twenty thousand dollar tree something crazy (laughs) huge huge walnut couldn't get my arms around it couldn't Mm -hmm. couldn't get a stick on it so i'm like okay next and so that was probably a blessing because it made me move back a little bit and basically put me right on the x Mm -hmm. i get up in this tree And it's leaning pretty severely. I'm facing the scrape. I put my ultimate one stick on the tree. I got a three-step ultimator. So that's basically, if I go as high as I can on my tiptoes and reach way up, I can get it seven and a half feet. I probably had it about seven. Mm -hmm. And then I stood on it and hung my stand. So I'm like eight, maybe eight and a half feet tops. And Platform height, right? Platform height, yeah. Yeah. So, sitting there, watching the scrape, and the wind was freaking everywhere that day. The wind directions were like McDonald's toys. Collect all 16. Like, (laughs) every wind direction you could come up with, I experienced that day. And it, it was decently breezy. It wasn't like 20 miles an hour or anything, but I think it was low teens or something like that. 
So at this point, I think it's about roughly about 550, 555, somewhere around there. And mm-hmm. sun gets behind the trees a little bit and the wind dies down. And then you can feel the thermals start sucking down the hill and past you, which in my opinion is like the gospel of the Lord. If you want to see deer movement, there's a reason why you see deer movement around an hour before dark. Yep. And there's a reason why you see it an hour after sunup or so roughly. Yeah. Because they have thermals and a consistent wind basically. And they feel safe. They can use their nose. So, the thermal switch happens, and I hear, and then does come off the hillside, come down and around and circle around me, and come in like from about 7 o'clock. If I'm facing noon, they come in at my 7 o'clock, and they're headed right at me. And one thing I have to note is... Before I got up there, I had probably about a third a bottle of some dough and heat pee. It's called Dough on Fire from Brush Creek Monsters. Yes. And that sounds like a plug, but it's not. It's just what happened. So I do this thing, I call it playing defense, where I'll sling the the buck pee, dough and heat, whatever I'm using, off to each side of me. So that way, I'll basically play the wind with it. Essentially, if a deer comes in from either side, it'll hit the wind of the urine first before it hits my wind. And maybe it'll distract it enough for me to get a shot, draw my bow, or maybe even make it come the last few steps that I need or whatever. It's not anything where you're like pulling it from three farms over and, you know, that that's not how it works. Generally. Right. So the does had come in, and when they hit the wind, they didn't like it. And the way I've basically always seen, and, you know, you kind of read their body language, and then you talk with their buddies, your buddies, and, you know, it kind of makes sense. Like, they don't want to be anywhere around when those bucks start smelling that deer piss. Mm -hmm. Because this time of year, Especially a few days ago, keep in mind, it's not the rut, it's the pre-rut. It's the height of the pre-rut. The does are not ready for the most part. So they're being ran to death, and when they're walking around, it's like worse than hunting pressure. They're walking slow and deliberate and just trying to hide. And when she hit that wind, she, she stopped, turned around. You could tell she looked uneasy, just went back the way she came. No blowing, nothing. She didn't hit my wind. She hit that dough and heat. And so 25 minutes or so later, 20 minutes later, I hear I hear all these tending grunts, you know, the footsteps turned into trotting and then tending grunts. And I'm like, oh, my God. Happy November, everybody. This is great. <laughs> this is all aw- I haven't even seen him yet. And this is awesome. I I remember praying. I'm like, God, please. If if I could just see like a good three-year-old or one of the four-year-olds or something that I wasn't going to shoot, just anything, you know, a good deer, 
It just make my day. And so I hear him come down, and I mean, this deer is when he gets to the bottom of the hill, he's, you know, probably thirty yards, maybe thirty-five, mm-hmm. roughly. And I'm just guessing here, but I can't see anything. I can't even see branches moving. So at the moment, you did not know it was the deer. No idea. No idea. So I hear him kind of push the does a little bit, like a couple of quick footsteps, and they take off. And then I could. it was weird, and I never did put it together. I'd kind of forgot that I put the shit out, honestly. And it was like he was interested in those does, and then he smelled that stuff mm-hmm. and literally came right in the same way the does did. And the thing is, is he was getting close. I could tell it was a buck and a good one. I could start to see rack at about 15, 16 yards. And keep in mind, I'm standing in my tree stand with my bow pointed at seven o'clock. Like I'm directly over my shoulder to the left. I am standing and facing that way. So, He gets closer, and I could see one of the tines on his on his G2, I think it'll end up being. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And it looks like a main beam. It's so long. And I was like, what the hell? That's a, a very tight, like that's a thick but really tight rack deer. And then I saw that other beam, and I was, and that's when it hit me. And we're talking, he's 15 yards, mm-hmm. and I'm figuring this out. And I'm like, Oh my God, it's him. Like, I can't believe it. And and I wanted to convince myself there's no way possible. It's not. I said, hey, that's your read. You shoot that son of a bitch. Don't you dare. Like, mm-hmm. don't you doubt it. There's no other deer that could look that way. Like, shoot him. This well, the rack, is, the rack is just too indistinguishable yeah. at that point. Like, everything's yeah. kind of coming well, to a point I right here. Really, yeah, I couldn't really, like, take the time to really study, study. Right. You know, like, the other side. I was trying to find that big-ass G2 or whatever it is with the crab claw. But I, I just, all the honeysuckle was covering stuff, and I, I couldn't tell. And I'm like, no other deer looks like this on this side. Come on. Like, what else right. could it be? So, he he... He's coming, and he sticks his head under a low-hanging branch to get his rack under it. It's relatively tall, and when he picks his head up to come under it, bring the rest of his body under, it kind of forces his head to point towards me, and I, I, don't, I still don't know if he saw me or not or even cared, but I didn't want to give him time to study and freak out, blow, mm-hmm. flinch, anything. So as soon as I recognized that I thought he saw me, I put my pin, he's at 13 yards, I put my pin on the inside of his left shoulder. I felt like he was quartered to me, and I needed to basically be just inside that shoulder, and that would cross, you know, through the lungs, maybe catch the heart, top of the heart, something, just cross through a bunch of that. Mm-hmm. And then probably go back there into the diaphragm, liver, maybe guts, maybe even exit. I don't know. And so I release the arrow and he takes off like a bat out of hell, 180. And I hear a deer moments later at like 60 yards 
blowing and it is not a regular blow it is mm. like like furious kind of the way i took it is you hit like a bitch that's basically mm-hmm. what i felt like the deer was saying to me like you think you're tough with your little broadheads dude get out of here so sat there and then at that point i really had to like collect myself i hadn't felt like that in a while i hadn't been that torn up since 2019 when i shot that piebald buck yeah so i really wasn't that distraught after i shot that buck it was trying to draw the bow and all that so i calmed myself and then i got down and i mean this is i think it was like 620 or something like that like Mm -hmm. we're 45 minutes away from dark yeah it was broad freaking daylight and uh I got down and went and just slow walked, you know, everything and dried up real well. So like you sound like a damn Buffalo going through the woods, walk over to where he was standing and I don't find an arrow. And I'm like, well, that's not great. And then I just start slow walking real careful. Um, where the leaves are ruffled. And then I see my arrow laying on the ground. I'm like, oh, cool. Well, I walk up and my heart drops into my ass. About half of the arrow is covered in blood Mm -hmm. and the back half is clean. And I have a white wrap, white knock, and white fletchings. Little zingers. Yeah. Yep. I'm like, dude, I don't like this. So I did, however, first find blood right there. Yes. Tiny little specks. And as I walked, it didn't take long, and it turned into okay blood. And then it was good blood. And then it was really good blood. And it was real good blood. Then it was unbelievable blood. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to track this deer. I think he's dead. There was blood all over logs. It looked like you took, you know, uh, cup of pig's blood and like kind of just yeah, like we're slinging I mean, it around. Let's let's say a quarter gallon. Like yeah. you took a quarter gallon or so and just dumped it all over the logs and then you had like a gallon jug in your hand and you just poured it every few feet. Yep. I mean there was blood everywhere. This is the kind of blood trail that you would want to start a beginner on because you could follow it at a good walk. But of mm-hmm. course, you don't know if the deer's dead, so I'm going super slow, looking up ahead of me and all that. And I just kind of keep going, and it starts getting darker, and all of a sudden I can't see anything. So I'm like, you know what? Let's back out. Let's call Josh, whoever, you know, yeah. and let's wait a little while. So... I went home, you know, got a hold of Josh, came up with a game plan to come back significantly later that night. We got in there and we're walking and, you know, the deer's going one direction and it's going the other. Then he circles his own track. He crosses his own track and we got led going on the blood trail that we came in on. We're following it out because he basically did a circle like Bugs Bunny and (laughs) threw us off. So we had to Mm -hmm. backtrack 
and restart. Um, and then we end up trailing him. And at this point, we're we're getting pretty close to the end of the public, to where you know you're fifty yards from private. So I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. you know, like let's just let's he's clearly not right over here. Like I'm shining my light. You know, there was a little patch of woods and that was it. And when I say little patch, I'm talking like 0.15 acres or so, you know, nothing crazy, you know, a couple tents or something. It's not like, it's like 10 acres. So I was like, dude, let's, let's back out. We can't, we can't go knocking on somebody's door to ask permission at like 2 a.m. You know right. what I mean? We, we can't do that. So let's go home. We'll get sleep. I'll come back in the morning. And if I need to go onto the private, which is likely I'm going to have to, mm-hmm. then, you know, we'll, we'll do that. So I come back. I, I didn't sleep for shit. No. And when I did fall asleep, my son woke up uber early because of the time change. Woke me up, and I was just miserable mm-hmm. and stressed to the max. But I did feel like I had hit the brachial artery. Everything I read was just like what happened in a previous podcast story with our buddy Bob. Mm-hmm. And it happened on a doe that I shot last year. Mm-hmm. So I send the family off to church, you know, get coffee in me, water, drinking plenty of water because I'm looking at because I think it's that hit I'm thinking we're going to have a six mile day Mm -hmm. and I get down there and I'm looking for blood, you know, close to that private land border Mm -hmm. and I'm just not finding it. So I'm like, well, let's make sure he didn't come back again because he kept doing that. He's very methodical about what he was doing. And I look at some reeds, well, not reeds, it's like grasses, Mm -hmm. and I find a bed with blood in it, and then I find more blood and more blood, and I'm like, oh, my God, and it's headed right towards that tiny little patch of woods that I discounted like an idiot. I feel stupid (laughs) for that. So, and basically, it looked like when me and Josh had come, you know, down that way, he just got up and, and went over towards that little tiny patch of woods. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't go on the right side of it. So I went around the other side, Mm -hmm. man, if he's up in there, just you're all you're doing is looking for blood. Don't go up in there at all. Because if you bump him, you know, then he could go onto private. And if we don't have to go beg for permission, nobody can tell us no. And we don't have to leave our deer to rot or something. Right. So, like just nonchalantly, very chill, walk around this damn patch of woods. Dude, I come up on this knoll and I see this like long dark splotch in the shade. And my heart dropped. And I was like, wait, no, you know, this has happened like two other times in this track. And it's not him. And I looked up and you know, I got like two steps closer, and all of a sudden I saw a rack sticking up. And I 
since my firstborn child was born, I had not been overcome with emotion like that. And I keeled over and started crying. A, because mm-hmm. there is a lot of pressure with all this. Yeah. But more importantly, I didn't waste an animal, screw up the shot that I had worked so hard to get. There's a lot that goes into it. And and uh, part of it was happiness, too. I mean, I just killed the best buck of my life. And again, score or not, I don't care. That's the best buck of my life. Yeah, absolutely so, it is. Absolutely it is, man. So, you know, that's that's pretty much the story there. Um, it was hell getting him out. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it was just really cool. He's 14 points. He's got God only knows how many beams, technically three or four. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he's got points in between points. He's palmated. I mean, he's got it all. He's really cool. It's it's insane to think about how this story started and to go from if you if you think kind of like the saga here, you go from last year where you have like eight sits and four deer almost five to having to revert back to this year. You've had a bunch of, you had sits in Kentucky. You had a lot of sits in Ohio. And then it comes to the culmination of having to go back to what you knew best for so long, but doing it in a different way. Yeah. And then executing a shot that I I would say not a lot of people would take You're you're, you're an archer like you're you're a part you know you're i, I want to say professional but you're 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 a you can call <laughs> me a pro it's fine <laughs> i'm not you're you're you're, you're you're a target archer you're you're much better than than many of the people that i know and you execute this shot and then the thing the thing that sticks with me with this is is that a lot of guys after they make that shot and they trail and they trail. Don't, don't follow up on it. And, and I know we're gonna, I'm gonna get some crap about this, but it's true. Like there's, yeah. there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who would shoot a buck, and then they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't do what they needed to do to get the deer. Yeah. Whether that's, whether that's paying for a dog, whether it's paying for a drone, whether that's, you know doing everything you need to, let alone all the hell you had to put yourself through to get on that buck to begin with. Yeah. And that's like, what's, that's, what's really tough too, because like, so, you know, to kind of go over the shot with people, for example, I executed my shot perfectly and I hit right behind the pin, but I misread the angle. I think when he put his head under that branch, he kind of shifted his body on me a little bit and yeah. he was directly straight on. Had I aimed right above the brisket, you know, bottom of the neck, I would have piped the shit out of that deer and he probably wouldn't have made it a hundred yards. I'd have yeah. probably watched him fall, but I misread it. And I want people to be educated on all these different hits because I think it's the best thing you can know. And really the only way to know all this is to screw up or be with your buddies when they screwed up or whatever Yep. and to persevere through it. So this was a brachial artery hit. It is in the armpit, basically. Mm-hmm. It's between the shoulder and the cavity. It is not in the lungs, heart, liver, guts, diaphragm, nothing. No kidneys. I never entered the cavity. I went in between the shoulder and the deer cavity. 
So my arrow went, and, and this is an important part I left out. My arrow went through, and for some reason, I thought it got pulled out. And those Sever 2.0s, it's two-inch cut, they lock and pivot. So I thought, man, he pulled the arrow out? That's freaking nuts. Like, you really do hit like a bitch, Chris. So, <laughs> well, upon, what did you call it, a, a necropsy or necropsy, something? Necropsy, yeah. Okay, so when I was cutting the deer up, skinning it out and everything, or when I found him, actually, I was like, okay, I, I have to know. Yeah. Where, where did I, you know, did I hit where I was aiming? Okay, yes. I, I Okay, great. I was proud of that, at least. You know, something went right, and... The arrow literally rode in between the skin and the rib cage the entire length of the deer until you got to the very end of the torso where his waist is, and it exited and hit him right in the ham. Yep. And there was a big hole in his uh, left hind leg in the front yes. of the ham. And that's when the arrow came out. So a two-inch mechanical, and it cut vertically, by the way. Um, it's a two-blade. And it was vertical when it hit the deer, which is kind of crazy. Like, had it been sideways, I don't know. You know, maybe I don't get the deer or maybe it falls quicker. I don't really mm -hmm. know. But what I do know is that you get a hell of a blood trail that you can follow forever as long as you're in leaves. If you get into grasses, pine needles, it can be difficult. But... Two out of three experiences with a brachial artery hit, the deer blew. Both times it was a buck, a good buck too. Um, they blew, uh, stomped their feet, all that. They don't know that they've really even been hurt. And I found that deer bedded down on his belly. He, you know, he wasn't laying on his side or anything. That deer, in my opinion, and I'm, I don't say this to make myself feel better, but I do feel better about it. When I find a deer bedded down on his belly like that, he went to sleep. He went to and sleep and didn't never wake woke up. up. Yep. That's that's what happened. And that is exactly how it worked. So I do take a little bit of pride in that. Now, I misread that angle and I messed up, but it was a good miss. Sometimes you have a good miss, so I'll take it. You know, um, I would not rather be lucky than good, but in this case, I'm glad I was very lucky, or I'll call it blessed. Um, so yeah, just a little education on shot placement and everything. Cause that's like, you can be as good an archer as you want. If you don't understand deer anatomy, it really doesn't matter. And, and to me, because I've gutted so many shot, so many recovered, wounded and lost some, you name it, tracked for myself, buddies, etc. Generally when studying the arrow, the deer reaction, body language, blood trail, etc. I'm pretty much tell you what happened with that deer, what happened on the shot and how to go about tracking it. Mm -hmm. And, and generally it leads to success. It's not always, you know, we had some, a screw up with Josh's, but there again, like, I don't know what we were going to do there because yeah. we had rain. I mean, the damn dog couldn't find the deer for God's sake. So, um, this is a couple years ago. This isn't this year, guys. So, um, yeah, I, I really think that, uh, it's crazy to also take note that that arrow passed through and my white wrap and fletchings and knock didn't have a speck of blood. So no, they did not. While you always want 
that red arrow, I mean, sometimes it, it doesn't mean that. You can exit the guts. You can exit the brisket. There's all kinds of things that can wipe blood off of that arrow. And you think that you've got a terrible shot when, in fact, you've got a good shot or whatever. So something to keep in mind. Yeah, it's it's important that you take the time you learn from these experiences. But ultimately, uh, it just goes to show that persistence kills. Persistence yeah. will find your deer. And persistence will allow you to learn more uh, through one hunting season than you have the previous, you know, 38. So, you know, persistence kills. So, you know, ulti- ultimately, like, you've had an amazing start to the season. And, and to be fair, like, guys... Josh and I went into this the last time. It's the first week of November. You have plenty of time, and there's plenty of season left. And I, I, I want, I wanted to do this podcast this way so everybody could learn and pick up tidbits in this kind of stuff. You know, we we've talked about feed trees, we've talked about scrapes, we've talked about estrus, we've talked about um, mobile thermal setups, thermal switch. We we've talked about everything we we've discussed on this podcast for the past five six months. This is the culmination of when you allow yourself to learn, follow through, and execute a plan outside of your original plan. Like you, like the fa- famously, Mike Tyson used to say, "Everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face." Like you got punched in the face. And you end up winning the fight. So, man, yeah. I'm proud. I'm. I can't say enough. I'm really proud of you for. You. You're welcome for going through and doing this. Um, I think <laughs> the day before you shot that deer, I said, um, I really hope this doesn't turn into a situation where we're obsessing over one deer the entire season. And I am so <laughs> so happy for you that it is not that. Yeah, I I kept telling myself because you talk to some of these killers and a lot of them are like you can't obsess over one deer. You can't get you can't marry yourself to one deer. You know, that's it's very difficult, but with this particular deer, he's just so cool, so big. Um, you know, he's just a a giant in every sense of the word, and I just couldn't not hunt him and I had all these plans to hit all these states and you know, do all these things with buddies, and I just I put it all aside and said, you know what, you have to hunt that deer. You yep. can't say maybe next year, maybe later, nothing like that. And you know, I want to be super honest with everybody. Um, there's a lot of people that I feel like played a a pretty big part in just like counseling, like talking to you and Josh, talking to Pierce. Um, talking to Jacob Emery, like, I don't know if it was every day, but damn near every day Mm -hmm, I talked mm -hmm. to him. I mean, just talking with my buddies and not only getting good encouragement and everything, but just, you know, little things that maybe I don't see or think of or something and, or something that reaffirms what I'm thinking and gives you the confidence to say, okay, 
let's go try this. You know, confidence kills. And if I could tell anybody to do anything in deer hunting, man, pay attention to the damn thermals. Learn thermals like it's your job. Yep. So, uh, there's, I don't know why people got a buddy that thinks thermals are like not in play with deer. And I'm sorry, but that's like beyond untrue. They use yeah. the thermals like it's their job. It's why they come in wind to back downhill because they can use the thermals. Like learn your thermals, get milkweed, go pay attention to that thermal switch. When the front of your legs start to get cold when you're facing uphill, mm-hmm. because the damn cold air is sucking downhill <laughs> man pay attention to that it's probably my autism that makes me notice all these little things but i'm telling you if you pay attention to it it'll help and again this deer is great and i'm proud of it i'm more proud of it than any deer i have but doesn't make me a pro doesn't mean i'm a pro deer hunter or something special essentially i'm just a dude that likes to learn from podcasts youtube channels Facebook posts, you name it. So, guys, be a sponge. Uh, probably never have anything like this happen again, but you can bet your ass you're going to see me kill some deer just because I've been fortunate enough to learn from all these different people and nothing more. Absolutely, man. You know, one of my favorite things, and people who are listening in Michigan, you're going to hate this, but Urban Meyer used to say uh, when he was at Ohio State, you know, the best thing about like one and zero is it's the opportunity to go two and zero. Coach is what the response would be from the team. You know, the best oppor- You know, the best part about killing a buck like that is <laughs> killing another one. Killing another one, man. So at that uh, moment, guys, uh, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this. I've enjoyed this podcast thoroughly because. Um, this is one of those opportunities that I don't feel like we get a whole lot. We've had some super awesome killers on this podcast. Um, but it's, it's very kind of like rarefied air when one of our buddies or one of our hosts, let alone kills a monster like this. So guys, this has been fueled by the outdoors. I've been your host, Rick Cates. I've been joined tonight by our guest, Chris Leppert. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you later. Bye. Aren't you going to tell people to take kids hunting and all that shit? Take kids hunting out this November as well. Also, <laughs> stay connected. Two linemen's ropes. A tether and a lineman's ropes. ropes. Or a lineman's rope. All right. See you guys. Bye.